Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from the Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And the Father who, who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises like the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive you of your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that they fast, fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that, you, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by the Father who, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, that was the cutest scripture reader we've had in a while. The words of Matthew chapter 6. Friends, all the world is a stage. All the world is a stage, and the men and the women are merely players. That was written by William Shakespeare in his play, As You Like It. And friends, it's true. And it's what Jesus is talking about in the passage that Hannah just read for us this morning. We are all actors on the stage of life, and the only question that we get to answer is, to what audience are we going to play? All of life is a stage. We are actors, but you get to choose the audience to which you are going to play. Because conscious or not, every one of us, does almost everything we do with an eye to approval of some audience. From whom are you seeking approval? To whom are you looking for applause? To what audience are you playing? That's the question that Jesus is asking his followers in the passage that Hannah just read for us. Who is your audience? An implicit. Implicit in the question, in the challenge, is an invitation. It's an invitation to us to play for, to live for, an audience of one. An audience of one. 
Now, the phrase, audience of one, isn't my idea. It was actually popularized by Christian organization Athletes in Action. They've called their athletes on and off the field to play to an audience of one. And this is what their website says. It's normal to get caught up in the evaluation of many audiences that surround us each day. The friends, the family, the coaches, social media followers, fans, etc. But ultimately, there's only one whose opinion about us really matters. Friends, ultimately, there is only one whose opinion about us really matters. So despite all of the other audiences that surround us, the call, the invitation that Jesus gives us is to play to an audience of one. Now, friends, you notice that today I'm leading out with the main thesis, with the main idea of the text, because that's exactly what Jesus does in today's passage. Verse 1 is the main thesis, is the main idea that Jesus is teaching. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus actually gives us the punchline before he even tells us the joke. He starts off with his thesis, the point. His point is, make sure you're playing to the right audience. Make sure that you have chosen to live before an audience of one. And church, this message, the message is really not complicated. The problem is it's difficult. Uh, The message is not unclear, but the truth is it's unwelcome. Because day after day, church, we are tempted to play to other audiences. We are tempted to play to the wrong audience. Because like Shakespeare said, Jesus warns that life is a stage. So be careful. Don't practice your righteousness before other people just to be seen. In fact, when Jesus uses the Greek, that you says be seen, he uses the Greek word theaomai, which is where we get our word theater. Is that me crackling or is that something else? No, okay, just making sure. So when Jesus says be seen, he uses the Greek word theaomai, where we get theater. Jesus says all the world is a theater. The world is a theater. We're seen. So who's your audience? And more than that, three times, three times in verses 2, 5, and 16, Jesus uses the Greek word hypocrites, which is where we get our word hypocrite. But friends, the Greek word is actually the technical term for a stage actor who impersonated other people on stage. So Jesus is saying life is a theater. We are all hypocrites, actors on life stage playing our parts. And Jesus asks the question, so to what audience are you going to play? To what audience before what audience for the approval and the applause of what audience are you going to live your life? Now, last night, as my family was reading and preparing for Hannah to read today's passage, they said, wow, Jesus repeats himself a lot in this passage. And friends, he does. And as you've heard me say before, whenever we find repetition in the Scripture, pay attention because a point is being made. When somebody repeats something, they want you to take notice. When people say something more than once, they're varying the way they say it. They're trying to help their audience remember. 
You see what I just did there? I repeated it three times so you get the point. Friends, three times. Three times Jesus applies this truth, but there's only one challenge, and the challenge is to live for the audience of one. Three times Jesus calls out us as we play in the theater of life and says, for whose approval will you play? And he warns against playing for the approval of others. Verse 2, he warns against that they may be praised by others. Verse 5, that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, that their fasting may be seen by others. The common thread is by others. The issue is not their performance. The issue is their audience. Friends, for whose approval are you living? To what audience are you playing? Because the temptation, church, the temptation is to play to the audience of others because I promise you something. If you choose to live your life to play to the audience of others, you will be rewarded immediately. Three times Jesus says, verse 2, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 5, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 16, Truly I say to you, word for word. It's so tempting to play the audience of others because, friends, you will be immediately rewarded for your conformity. The rewards are immediate and the applause of the crowd will be loud. But, friends, it's only temporary. But we're so tempted by it. The Pharisees and the religious people of Jesus' day were powerfully tempted by such vain glory. But Jesus declared in John chapter 12, verse 43, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Friends, play to the crowd and you will receive glory. Play to the crowd and you will receive applause. And it is so tempting because it's immediate. It's wonderful and it feels so good in the moment. But church, that's all you're going to receive. The Greek word that Jesus uses for they have received their reward is actually a technical term for a transaction. It's a technical term for a transaction. In other words, they've been paid in full for their performance. Paid in full. So play to that audience. You'll receive the applause of man, but that is all the reward you're ever going to receive because you've been paid in full. And friends, that reward is a short-lived reward. It's perishable praise. It's fleeting favor. Because you'll have it for one minute, but I promise it'll be gone the next. Because you're either going to be forgotten, or you're going to need to go further and compromise more and perform again according to the new standards to keep receiving the exact same reward. Church, we cannot live for the reward and the praise of humanity. We cannot love performing for the audience of others. We need to live for an audience of one. Jesus calls us to practice our religion, our devotion, before the right audience, remembering that what is secret to the world is seen by the Father, and what is secret to the world is rewarded by the Father. Again, three times, verse 4, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 6, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 18, your Father who sees in secret. Church, we are invited 
to see the unseen, to play to the unseen audience who sees and who rewards eternally. We're invited to play to the audience of one. And the great men and women of faith who have gone before us, those who have walked this road before we have, they have all done it, keeping their eyes on the audience of one. Friends, those who have stood against the crowd, the men and women of faith who have rejected the fleeting rewards of men, have done so because they were living to please an unseen audience. Now, the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 11, is filled with these stories of men and women. And chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Faith. And it is filled with examples of those who, by faith, saw and lived to please an unseen audience of one. For example, Moses. Moses, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, is celebrated. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Why? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Friends, Moses endured the displeasure of the audience of the king of Egypt because he was living for the pleasure for the audience of the true king of creation. Moses could endure the displeasure of an earthly king because he was playing to the audience of a heavenly king. When we see and we live for the pleasure of the audience of one, it makes us bold to stand against the displeasure of the audience of others. There was a funny antidote. British statesman Winston Churchill was once asked why he was not stung by a vicious attack that a fellow member of parliament made against him. And Churchill, in one of his famous quips, replied, if I, res- if I respected him, I would care about his opinion. But I don't, so I don't. Churchill said, he's not the audience that I'm playing to. So the displeasure of that audience, of that member of parliament, it doesn't faze him. Friends, the displeasure of the king of Egypt didn't faze Moses. Why? Because they're playing to a different audience. Church, we need to play to the audience of one, and it frees us. It frees us from the displeasure of the audience of the world around us. Christian author Oz Guinness put it this way, we who live before the audience of one can say to the world, I have only one audience. Before you I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, and nothing to lose. I love that. I have one audience, and before this world I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, and nothing to lose. Friends, before the audience of the world I have nothing to prove. Because their approval cannot add to me, and their disapproval cannot diminish me. I have one audience. And so before the audience of the unseen, his opinion is the one that matters, and it frees me from their opinion. I'm free to follow. I'm free to obey. I'm free to practice my devotion, not for them, but for him. I live before an audience of one, and it is so freeing. However, friends, when you live your devotion, your religion, ultimately for other people, what happens? You become a slave to those that you're living for. You know, there's a phrase 
There's actually a phrase in today's society about living your devotion, your religion, for other people to see. The phrase is virtue signaling. Virtue signaling, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is an attempt to show other people that you're a good person. For example, by expressing opinions that will be acceptable to them. In other words, virtue signaling is playing to your audience. It's expressing disgust or favor at the correct political ideas or cultural opinions. And friends, this happens on both sides of the ideological spectrum, both conservative and liberal. It happens whether you're following the Christian religion or the modern religion of wokeism. The point is, virtue signaling is all about performing your devotion for the benefit of a human audience. Whether your audience is politically or theologically left or right, you're doing it, in the words of Jesus, to be seen by others and to be praised by others. In Jesus' day and in our day, virtue signaling was usually just empty posturing. It's merely impression management. It's all show and little to no substance. James Bartholomew, who says he actually invented the term virtue signaling, says one of the crucial aspects of virtue signaling is it doesn't require actually doing anything virtuous. And friends, then and today, that's still true. Virtue signaling is not about substance. It's about show. It's not about becoming virtuous as much as it's about appearing virtuous. It's not about actualization. It's just about applause. And friends, that's what Jesus warned about. Later in Matthew's Gospel, we're actually going to hear Jesus quote the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 29.13. This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Jesus says you're all talk and no walk. You're all show and no substance. You may have changed your profile picture, but you haven't changed your heart. You may have changed what is seen, but the substance remains untouched. It's all empty virtue signaling, performance art, and it's done merely to be praised and seen by others. And Jesus says if that's how you're going to live, you've received your reward in full. Followers of Jesus, Jesus invites us to an alternative. And the alternative is to live our lives before the audience of one. Because there is only one person whose opinion ultimately matters. Live before the one who sees not just your public appearance, but your private actualization. The one who sees not just your social media feed, but what is done in secret. Live and practice your devotion not to be seen and rewarded by man, but to be seen and rewarded by God. And now the three examples of religious righteousness or devotion that Jesus offers in this section, they really come to us in some form in just about every religion. Jesus, the three examples that you heard read are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And really, these three things are part of the practice of almost every religion because they are the most basic parts of our religious devotion. To pray is to seek God. To give is to serve our neighbors. And to fast is to subjugate the self. 
So prayer to God, almsgiving to neighbors, and fasting from self. And church, notice that when Jesus calls us to these things, they aren't actually optional. Three times, Jesus says, not if you give, or if you pray, or if you fast. Three times, Jesus says, when you give. When you pray. When you fast. They are an expectation of those who follow Jesus. Now, church, understand me correctly. Jesus wasn't giving us a new law. These things are not the root of our righteousness, but the fruit of our righteousness. These weren't given to us as a way to earn Jesus' love. This is the way of those who are loved by Jesus. Salvation and relationship with God cannot be earned or deserved. They're the free gift of God's sovereign grace to us. But our response to that unmerited grace is in these three movements. To seek God, to serve neighbor, to subjugate the self. Our devotion, our donation, our discipline, our prayer, our almsgiving, our fasting. And Jesus has warned us here that all these things are good. They're all good, but they're not to be done for the audience of others. These are not for mere virtue virtue signaling. These are actually virtues to be grown, genuinely, inside each one of us. These are not to be performed for others. These are performed before the audience of one. And friends, these three things, prayer, service, and discipline, are not to make us people of show. They're meant to form us into people of substance. These are given to grow us in our relationship with Christ so that we better conform to Him. And there's really nothing shocking about these three things, is there? I mean, prayer, service, discipline. I mean, for most of us, it seems obvious. It seems obvious how prayer and service to neighbor would both serve to form us to become more like Christ. We spent last week talking about prayer when we studied together the other words that Hannah just read for us. We studied together the Lord's Prayer. And we talked about prayer. So prayer and service, they're regularly talked about and they're regularly practiced within our churches. However, I wanted to take a moment to touch on this last one that Jesus mentions, which is fasting. Because while we talk about and practice prayer and service, we don't talk a lot about, or practice often, fasting. Now, to be clear, exactly what is fasting? You know, strictly speaking, its strict definition is the total abstinence from food for a set period of time. However, unlike prayer and service, we don't much discuss it or practice it today, do we? You know, I think that we're quick to write fasting off as some kind of an Old Testament practice. Or maybe for some of us attempted to write off fasting as an old practice of the Catholic Church with their rigid liturgical calendar of feast days and fast days. But church, we just heard Jesus tell his followers that he expects we're going to fast. Not if we fast, but when we fast. In just a few chapters in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to hear this exchange between Jesus and some of John's disciples. The disciples of John came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, your followers, do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. He says, The day will come when I'm not with them, and they will fast. 
And yet, church, we don't. In fact, we resist fasting. And I think we resist fasting because we resist self-discipline. You know, Jesus has been warning us that we, we want to practice all of our religious devotion to impress others. But we also want to do it to build ourselves up. The problem with fasting is it's about denying myself. And I don't like that. We, we want to use our religious devotion to build ourselves up by manipulating others. Because that's what we can do. In, in verse 3, Jesus says, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing when you give. Because he's saying, don't give with ulterior motives. You know, we can even use our giving to build ourselves up. Because if I give it to him, or if I give to her, or if I give in this way, then somehow maybe my left hand will get back. And it will be used to benefit me. In the same way, we can do that with prayer. Jesus in his teaching here on prayer in verse 7, he warns, don't pray like the pagans heaping up the empty phrases. Basically, he's saying, don't think you can manipulate God with lots of words and lots of skill in your words. Because that's using prayer, what? To manipulate and to get. It's building myself up. So then we have fasting. I hate fasting because it's about self-denial and self-discipline. This isn't about building myself up at all. It's about denying myself. And while fasting is about abstinence from food for a period of time, there are plenty of ways that we might fast. Plenty of ways we might practice self-denial and self-discipline. Things from which we might fast. Ways we might give up our manipulation and control. All to be formed into the image of Christ. You know, fasting or any other practice is not a law to be observed, but a grace to be received. You know, fasting can be an untapped means to mercy. How can we fast? Friends, we might fast. Or why might we fast? We might fast in repentance. Asking God's mercy for our past sins. Fasting, giving up our striving to earn forgiveness. And recognizing we must come and receive grace alone. We might fast in dependence. Trusting God's mercies for the future provision. Fasting gives up my belief that it all depends upon me. And trust that all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We could fast in discipline of the self, seeking God's mercy for our present obedience, fasting by confessing our inability and the futility of our efforts to obey and seeking His power in our need. We might fast from evil or from distraction to become channels of God's mercy. God, free us from our injustice and make us channels of your justice. We might fast for the sake of generosity, seeking God's mercy for other people. You've heard the old saying, live simply, that others simply might live. I, I might fast and then give away what I'm fasting. I, I might let others eat or have what I would have eaten or had. Church, fasting is to deny yourself. It's to deny yourself for the sake of mercy of receiving mercy and giving mercy. It's to submit yourself to Christ that you might be shaped to become a channel of God's mercy and grace. Now understand, I'm not here you know, talking about fasting because fasting is somehow more important than prayer or almsgiving. I'm talking about fasting a little bit more this morning because it's not something we discuss or practice often. We don't like this kind of self-discipline. We don't like this kind of self-diminishment. We don't like humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord, as we just said. Our devotion to God, our religious practice, should include all three of these things. 
prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. Seek God, serve others, subjugate the self. Why? So the substance of Christ might be formed in us. And as Jesus warns us, don't just practice such things for the sake of image before others. Practice such things to be formed into the character of Christ within, in the secret place. Because then that will come out and will be seen. As such, Jesus warns us, don't do any of these things as virtue signaling. To be seen by men, do them to be shaped by God. Don't just do them on social media to be seen by man. Do them in secret where the Father alone sees. Jesus' message is don't live for the audience of others. Church, live in all things for the audience of one. Because I promise you something. I promise you that you will become like the audience for whom you live. You will become like the audience for whom you live. So church, who will be your audience? Let's pray. Father, free us. Free us from the temptation to look to all these other audiences around us. Free us from the temptation to look to the approval of others. Free us that we might not practice our devotion before others to be seen and to be thought righteous. Father, may we seek You that You and Your Spirit might make us righteous. Lord, help us. Help us to see the unseen and like the great men and women of faith who have walked before us. Help us to follow and to live faithfully for You, the audience of one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Closing, please stand and join us in singing, knowing.